Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Wow, what an excellent time of worship already tonight. I'm looking forward to continuing our worship now. Thank you for reading that, dear brother, and uh, just want to say how thankful I am to be here, how grateful uh, I am for the opportunity to be with all of you, and just how nice everybody's been, how hospitable. Last Yesterday, when I missed my flight, two minutes before we were supposed to board, they said, the flight is canceled. Uh, we're all standing in line, ready to get on the plane, and they say, the flight's canceled, we have no pilots. And I thought, well, that's an important thing to have. Um, but so, anyhow, my, I got there at 8 o'clock in the morning yesterday, and then I didn't get on a flight until about 8.30 at night. And so I was at the airport all day. I told Brooks, I'm going to come gaining, I probably gained about 10 pounds eating all that airport food. And I did do some walking, though. Um, but anyhow, I got here at 2 o'clock in the morning, I think Brooks said this morning, and uh, there was sweet John Jones right outside, walking in the freezing cold, trying to direct me. Where am I supposed to go? I'm clear on the other end of the school. And uh, at one point, he says, my ears are about to freeze off. <laughs> and I said, I believe you, because this is the coldest I've ever been in my life. It was, it's freezing here. So I'm thankful for the nice heat the Lord has provided and uh, also, I want to give a shout out to uh, Nathan in our, on my floor, the dorm floor. I don't know if you're in here. Okay, Nathan on the far end. My man, thank you for hooking me up with the toothpaste this morning. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot my toothpaste, and I said, nobody will ever talk to me again if I don't get some toothpaste here. So anyway, thank you so much for your hospitality. Uh, let's dive right in here. In our time this morning, we really set the foundation uh, for tonight and tomorrow as we read of Paul's exhortation to the believers at Ephesus, those who had been called to the one body, uh, united by the one spirit of the one true God, to then Walk in a manner worthy of that calling. That's the foundation of our faith. Uh, the foundation of this section of scripture and the foundation for our messages and, and this message tonight. Uh, now we begin to build on that foundation. Now we become, uh, begin to come into the application of our faith. And it starts right where we left off, the, off this morning, right here in verse 7, where Paul writes... But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Is this okay if I move this, or is this an online thing? Sorry, good? Okay, thanks. So just as he gets done talking about unity within the body, the unity which we all enjoy through the invisible rope of God the Holy Spirit who ties us all together, just as he gets done talking about unity within the body of Christ, he now shifts to diversity within the body. It says grace was given to each one of us. We are each individual members of the same body. 
when the Lord Jesus Christ was triumphantly raised from the dead, he ascended in bodily form right back up to the right hand of the Father in glory, which we can read about in Acts chapter 1, uh, Luke chapter 24. When he ascended back up into heaven, he sent his spirit to indwell his body, to indwell his church, his people. So while the head of the church reigns from on high, his body, through the strength of his Holy Spirit, is actively working to accomplish his will on earth. Okay, Paul uses this analogy of the body in a number of places. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, here in Ephesians chapter 4. And this is very important. This is very important. Listen to the similarities here uh, with our section Listen to Paul's description of the individual members of the church making up the one body of Christ. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, that's what we talked about this morning. One body, one spirit, one baptism of the spirit. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all united together, all tied together, all were made to drink of one spirit. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Then he gets specific with the individual uh, members here. He says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? Every time I read that, I think of this huge eyeball rolling in. How weird would that be? But he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear... Where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You see what he's saying here? He's saying one body, many members. Yeah, united together in spirit, but diverse in both ability and function. Okay, We all have the Spirit of God uniting us together. The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us, but we will all operate in different ways. We all bring something different and unique to the functionality of the body. He elaborates in verse 21. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary... The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's 
God's will for his body. Both the united body and its individual members. Anytime I ever get any kind of injury, I always think of Paul saying the parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. I remember uh, quite a few years ago, I was 25, 26, I was down in, in Florida with my friends and they had this huge bouncy castle in the backyard. One of those really big ones with the stairs and the slide, the whole deal. Uh, and everyone knows that the only way to increase the joy of a bouncy castle is to add water and soap, right? Then it really gets fun. Well, like I said, this one had the stairs and everything, and I remember following my friend up these stairs, which, like all bouncy castles, as soon as you put any weight on it, it just, you know, crumbles underneath your foot. Anyway, he's above me, and he slips down, he tumbles down, and, and we all fall down, and we all have a great laugh, and that's great. Well, the laughter is short-lived when I realized that my pinky toe has swollen up to the size of its next-door neighbor. I guess you'd call that the ring toe. I don't, I don't wear toe rings. Let's just, but I am saying that's, it's just natural. So anyway, my pinky toe, it's swollen up real good. But it's not broken or anything because I, I just kind of shake it off and I go right back up for the slide. Well, later that night, I realized how big of a deal this actually was. And for the next... Uh, I don't know, three or four weeks, I'm limping around everywhere, and it's all because of this one pinky toe. And I don't want anybody to touch my pinky toe. I actually cut a little bit of the top of my shoe just so it didn't come into contact with this pinky toe. And you know what else? I was walking differently because I didn't want to put any weight on it. So now my whole body is shifted. My joints are all out of whack. My, you know, my hips are, I'm a chiropractor's dream here. And it was all because of this one pinky toe. All that to say, a grown man has no business on a bouncy castle. <laughs> we must fight this temptation, men, with everything we have. Fight it. No, the point is this. Even the smallest injuries to the seemingly most insignificant members of our physical bodies can have a major impact on our lives. And in the same way, if the entire body of Christ, each individual spirit indwelled member does not work together, if they're not working in perfect unison, the whole body is impacted. The rest of the body suffers. There can even be division, he says in 1 Corinthians 12. We want to be a, a body of believers both on the local level, the individual local churches, schools, camps, and on the global level, the, the body as a whole, to be functioning as it ought, as it should. Functioning properly so the rest of the body doesn't have to compensate for any members who aren't operating as they ought. That's what Paul's saying here in 1 Corinthians 12. And he's about to tell us in Ephesians 4 the biblical model for how the body is supposed to operate here. Now again, this is monumental for our individual lives and the health of our churches. I, I saw on the school website before I came out here that you're all expected to be a part of a local church. That's good. That's really good. 
you should be a, a part of the local body, and not just because the school commands you to do so, but because Christ commands you to do so. This is the New Testament. I think that's a great thing, uh, that you're all a part of a local church. Uh, this is how the local body is, is able to function properly. I want you to listen closely to this, okay? We believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're all united we're all roped together, one body, but we've all been given specific individual roles, abilities, gifts to contribute to the proper functioning of the body. Now, Christ has given us each individual gifts and abilities if we are his, and they are serving gifts. They're serving gifts. They're not gifts for our own edification or our own benefit, okay? This is very important. They're not for personal edification. But, but gifts which we will use to serve the rest of his body. It says in verse 7, and he gives it to all, all these gifts according to his measure. Christ himself appropriates specific gifts in specific amounts to specific saints, and it varies from person to person. Okay, John MacArthur called us spiritual snowflakes. And that's before that term snowflake had such negative connotation. You don't want to be a snowflake now. But I'll tell you, he said, he said this in 1978. We're spiritual snowflakes. What he meant is we're all unique. We're all diverse. We're all special in the Lord's eye. There's no such thing as an identical twin. Not physically speaking, not spiritually speaking. And he gave us gifts to uniquely display for the serving of his body. Some have gifts of utterance. As we'll see, speaking gifts, and some, of, uh, some have gifts of service. There are uh, lists of gifts found in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, and of course, here in Ephesians chapter 4. Some of the gifts on these lists were temporary gifts, only used for a certain place at a certain time for a specific purpose and some of the gifts they're ongoing there are about 20 gifts listed but I believe some of these gifts they overlap as well but each believer will have at least one unique gift okay but they might also have a combination of gifts they may have gifts that change or shift over time and you say well how do I know which gifts I've been given how do I know how the Lord wants to use me well some people will take a spiritual gift survey. You ever taken a spiritual gift survey? Well, I would recommend not taking a spiritual gift survey. Who knows how well those things work? Uh, you, you can pretty much make those things say anything you want them to say. It's like, oh, I have the gift of encouragement. And then somebody comes along and says, hey, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't want to discourage you, but... Here's the uh, first bit of practical application. More to come tomorrow, Lord willing. Do you want to know how the Lord has gifted you? Then be a part of the body. Do you want to know what your unique gifting is? Then be around other members of the body. Be a part of a local church, which is a representation of the greater church. All true born-again believers. Be a part of the body. Serve the body. And your giftedness will come out when the body begins to, re to rely on you as one of its members. 
Okay, get involved, uh, participate, cooperate, circulate. Uh, don't just come in on Sunday mornings for an hour a week and expect the rest of the body to look at you and say, ooh, I'm sensing a gift of faith. That's just not how it works. Yet that's what's been done in American evangelicalism for years. Folks come in, they have their Starbucks, they sing a few songs, they sit and listen to a sermon, then they sneak out before they have to talk to anyone. But that's, that's the opposite of what Paul's saying here. That's the opposite of God's will for your life. He doesn't want you to do that. You know, if that kind of thing's important to you, his will for your life. I sit in on staff meetings and elder meetings back home, and I, I hear this. I hear, well, uh, so-and-so is leaving the church. This family is leaving. They just don't feel connected. Oh, or, or they say, oh, it's so hard to break into a church like LBC. I just couldn't get plugged in, so we're, we're leaving. And well, typically, that's nobody's fault but the folks who are leaving because there are plenty and I mean plenty of ways to get connected to a local body. You've got youth ministry, you've got kids' ministry, you've got music ministry, you've got men's ministry, women's ministry, the nursery ministry, the senior ministry, a multitude of other ministries in between, missions ministries, camp ministries, preaching and teaching ministries, counseling ministries. Get trained to be a biblical counselor or just come and get free counseling. That's one of my favorite parts about the local church, free therapy. I love it. Just be involved with the body. Get involved. If you are a true, genuine, born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has gifted you in such a way that will ser- you can serve the body to bring glory to his name. And you know what? You, you may not necessarily go right into the place where you think the Lord would have you. You may have to start doing something outside of your gifting. You may have to help with the junior high ministry. You have to, may help uh, with the kitchen ministry. But if you're around other members of the body and they begin to see how you operate, it won't be long before they say, you know, you, you just have such a strong faith. Or it, it seems like you have a real heart for evangelism, you know, or administration or whatever it ends up being. And then the body, hopefully the leaders, which we'll talk about in a moment here, will place you in a position of not only greatest need, but of greatest benefit to the rest of the body. That's how true gifting is identified, not by some easily manipulated survey. So all I'm saying is this. You, you've all been given a gift if you're in Christ, at least one. But you'll never know what that gift is. You'll never know how God wants to use you if your involvement with the body is three to four hours a week. Or three to four hours a, three to four hours a week would be good. But three to four hours a month, that's not enough time. Nobody will know you. They won't be around you. It'll never happen. You'll live your life in contradiction to God's will. Even worse than... Uh, not knowing how God has gifted you, though, is to know and then not use the gift that you've been given. This is just blatant disobedience here. And folks will be held accountable in the judgment for the gift they do not use. So it's the, it's the responsibility of every believer, as well as the responsibility of 
the body as a whole to identify and utilize your giftedness. And we'll see the significance of this truth in the remainder of our time together. But first, let's look how Christ was able to give these gifts. Again, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We were given grace... According to the measure of Christ's gift, a graced, a grace gift. We do not earn these gifts. We do not choose these gifts. We do not manipulate surveys in hopes of carrying out the gifts that we want, that we think we have. They are God-given. They're his gifts, his measure, for his purposes, which are ultimately for his glory. Again, MacArthur explains that the term measure means that the specific portion given is by sovereign design from the head of the church. The Lord has measured out the exact proportion of each believer's gift, just like Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, the measure of faith. Same thing, the measure. Quote, the exact proportion of enabling grace on the part of God is linked with the exact proportion of enacting faith on the part of each believer. And God is the source of both. The sum of this is that God gives both the grace and the faith to energize whatever gift he, he gives to the full intent of his purpose. In light of the truth just stated, it's clear that since they are sovereignly given no gifts should be sought. And since they're essential elements in God's plan, no gifts should be unused. And that since they come from the Lord, no gifts should be exalted. Okay? No gifts should be exalted. We don't seek after certain gifts or artificially manufacture certain gifts like those in the charismatic circles. We certainly don't exalt particular giftings or particularly uh, gifted people over other spirit-indwelled members of the body. We don't neglect our gifts or not utilize our gifts for whatever reason. In verses 8 through 10, Paul then explains how Christ alone has the authority to give these gifts to men and women who belong to him. Verse 8, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. Now, we could easily spend the rest of our time together today and tomorrow on these three verses, but I'm going to do a very brief overview because it's not the main point. Uh, There are many different views on this passage, particularly verse 9, and only a couple that really make sense. Paul is referring to Psalm 68 here. This is a psalm of triumph, a psalm which tells of God's victory over the enemies of Israel and is ascending the throne atop the holy hill uh, to receive gifts and tributes from his subjects. And now that God is victorious, he alone has the right to distribute the spoils of war, the gifts, back to whomever he wills, just like an earthly king would. Now, Paul's usage of this psalm psalm here puts Christ in that position of victory. I want you to think about it. Think about Jesus hanging on that tree, hanging on that Roman cross, body 
beaten, skin scourged, blood dripping from his thorn-pierced brow as, as he hung there, being derided, having been mocked and spit upon and blasphemed, looking down upon the ones whom he gave life, walking the earth that he spoke into existence by the word of his power, now hearing their words reviling him, saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from that cross and we will believe in him. He who trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. The world had thrown all it had at him, right? They, they inflicted the maximum amount of earthly pain and torture that they could on him, emotionally speaking, uh, spiritually speaking, physically speaking, right? Finally ending with his hanging on that Roman cross, the worst form of execution in the known world at that time. As he's hanging there on that cross and he's suffocating under the weight of his own body, gasping for breath, trying to stand up just so he can get another breath to live. And, and he did take one last breath. And as he took this breath, he said, it is finished. And they took him down. They placed him in an empty tomb. To humanity, it looked like this so-called king had been defeated, right? Conquered. We conquered him. But what happened three days later? He came out of that tomb a risen, living, triumphant savior. Having defeated death, having defeated sin, having defeated Satan, the, the grave could not hold him. And we, and we read in Acts where he ascended. He ascended where? Uh, to the right hand of the Father. He, he had given himself for his people. The king had sacrificed himself for his subjects. And the perfect sacrifice was made as the infinitely holy and righteous God of the heavens and the earth, his Father, then accepted that sacrifice and vindicated him by raising him from the dead. The price was paid. The victory was won on that cross. The, the sin of God's people had been atoned for in full by the perfect, pure, spotless, sinless Lamb of God, the Son of God, the perfect substitutionary atonement. On that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And he was raised. And he ascended victoriously and was given by God the Father who is over all and through all and in all the authority to distribute the spoils of his victory. To distribute gifts, grace gifts to those who are his, the redeemed, the called men and women of God. And that's exactly what he did. The triumphant Lord gave gifts to those who are his. And again, we each have at least one of these gifts. If you belong to him, if you belong to him, again, this is a message for believers. This is a message for Christians. It's not for unbelievers. Unbelievers don't have gifts. They have talents and abilities, 
They can play sports. They can sing songs. They can do all kinds of, they're smart. But they're not God-given gifts because this is not for unbelievers. They're grace gifts from the head to his body. You all have at least one gift if you belong to him and likely a combination of gifts to use for the service, not of yourself, but of his body. Most everyone in orthodoxy agrees with this interpretation. But I want you to look at verses 9 and 10, and this is where the differing views come in. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fulfill all, that he might fill all things. Excuse me. What was Christ doing during those uh, three days before the resurrection? Some folks think that he, he went to hell or, or Sheol, the temporary holding place of those who had died. The Sheol was divided into two sections. The one side, known as paradise, where the uh, dead Old Testament saints awaited the crucifixion and the resurrection, where they awaited their redemption, when the price would be paid for their transgression. That was one side. The other half is Hades, or hell. This is like rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was in Hades, the place of the dam. He was in torment. Uh, This is the place filled with unbelieving men and women, along with the, the bound demonic half-breeds from Genesis chapter 6. This is a holding place of the everlasting souls of these unbelieving men and women who will wait there until they are presented before Christ for judgment as he sits on his great white throne, uh, which we get a picture of in Revelation chapter 20. That's for unbelievers. That's for unbelievers. Some folks think that Christ descended into Hades, preached to these damned souls... And demons, though not preaching the good news, not the euangelion that we read about in the gospel, uh, in the gospel accounts and acts, but he's preaching his own victory and then taking the Old Testament saints to be with him forever, leading a host of captives. Now, that's a fairly strong position, okay, especially when you consider that very thing is alluded to in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, He preached to the spirits in bondage. But it's not the only interpretation. Uh, Others think that his descending into the lower regions, the earth, simply means that he came down to the earth. They're lower regions compared to heaven. Uh, The God of all creation came down to the very earth that he created. His being part of a cursed world, living a perfect life, dying, being buried, raised from the dead, and ascending back up into the heavens. Then, of course, there's folks who have all kinds of weird theories and thoughts about this, which we're not going to get into tonight. But Here's the point. Christ is conqueror. Uh, Christ is king. Which means that Christ and Christ alone has the authority to distribute gifts among men. Christ alone has the authority to distribute the spoils of his victory, right? And that's exactly what he does. Each and every child of God has been uniquely gifted by Christ for the serving and building up of the body. If they don't use those gifts, then they're not functioning as they ought to function, even if they're but a lowly pinky toe. 
If they don't use that gift that they've been given, the rest of the body is going to suffer. We'll have to compensate. The body will have to compensate. It's very important that we utilize the gift given us by the victorious Lord. To neglect such a great gift is to be in disobedience, and it would be detrimental to the rest of the body. Okay? Now let me show you why this is so important, why I keep repeating myself over and over. You're like, gosh, I got it. But I have to keep repeating this, why it's so important that we built that foundation, emphasized Christ's victorious ascension here. If there's anything that I want you all to take away from our time together today and tomorrow, it's Paul's words in these next two verses, okay? Verses 11 and 12. Just focus, just for a little bit, just focus. Verses 11 and 12, these are the main points of our study. This is what I came here to tell all of you. I came here on that flight, the airline industry. Oh, that's probably not a good hand signal for that. The airline uh, industry is in shambles. Yet, the sovereign Lord of the heavens and the earth brought me here to tell you this. Verses 11 and 12. So just pay, pay attention now. Why is our victorious Lord's giving gifts to his children so important? Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Do you see what that says, my brothers and sisters? The victorious Lord gave gifts to all who belong to him, to all who are his. He has that authority, but he also gave gifts to the body as a whole, his united body, his unified body. He gave gifts to the church. And what are those gifts? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, or the shepherds slash teachers. And why did he give the gifts of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers to the church? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Listen to me now. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love he gave gifts to the church apostles prophets evangelists shepherds and teachers to equip the saints these individually and uniquely gifted members of his body to equip them for the work of ministry. What do you think of when you hear the word minister? 
Think of the senior pastor. There's no such thing in the Bible about a senior pastor, by the way. Uh, what do you think of? The, the guy at, at church who's in charge of all the religious stuff? The guy who gets paid, the guy who preaches, who distributes the Lord's Supper, the guy whose name is on the sign out front, the guy who holds the church together, the guy who has the final say in everything, all things go through him, from the budget to the blinds, from the finances to the furniture, the guy who visits the congregants, who cares for the widows and the poor, who visits the sick, who sick, who brings meals to them, who does the evangelism, who teaches the children, who organizes the potlucks, who, who leads the committees, who does all the counseling, who commends the missionaries, does the hiring and the firing of the office staff. Is he the minister? Is that what Paul's saying here? Someone once said that folks today view the so-called minister like a bus driver. One guy's leading the way and everyone else is just along for the ride, sitting there looking out the window. Or sleeping. But that's not what Paul says here, is it? That's the lie of this culture, of building everything around one guy, around one gifted man. And that's the CEO mentality. That's the corporate model. That's not the biblical model. The, the biblical model is right here in Ephesians chapter 4. He's telling us, this is God telling you, this is how his body is to operate. To the individual members of the body, he gave gifts, spirit-enabled gifts, which are to be used. If you think it's the role of one man or even a plurality of certain men to carry out all the ministry of the church on their own, my friends, you've been deceived. You've been lied to. It's the whole congregation's job to carry out the work of the ministry. It was the job of the apostles and the prophets. And it is the job of the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints to do the work. We'll find out tomorrow how they do it. And it all centers around the theme of this conference. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you are truly saved, then you are a minister of Christ's body. You are a servant to the rest of the body for the glory of the head who is Christ. That's why it's so important for you to know what your gifting is because you are a minister of the church, of your local church, of the global church. You are all a minister of Christ if you are truly in Christ. Every member of his body matters. Every member is important because every member of the body is a minister. It's the job of the church leadership, the Elders, overseers, the teachers, through the faithful proclamation of the word of God to equip you for the work of the ministry. Isn't that something? Isn't that great? Lord willing, that's what we'll dive into a bit deeper in our time together tomorrow. Amen? Amen. Let's pray now and we'll have the music team come up and close us in musical worship. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again just for this time.
that you've given us the privilege, the privilege of coming together in this place and opening up your holy and inspired word. We are so grateful. We're grateful for the the inerrancy and the infallibility, the sufficiency of your scripture. And we're thankful that by your grace you have chosen to uh, reveal this truth to us tonight through these words. And we just love you. And we're so thankful for your son. We're thankful for the gospel. And uh, we just give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. You alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.